Well, Adam, I did bring crafts, shall we say, uh, but it's not, it's not all crafts. Uh, this half is craft, and this, house, th this half is hospital, in case I get choked or whatever. I'm on day 15 of a summer cold, and it's just really interesting. Don't worry about me. It only hurts when I talk. Uh, but I love church, always have. Even as a little girl, I've just always loved church. And for some reason, a story popped in my head um, this week, and I just wanted to share it with you, and it really doesn't fit in, but it's a story about church. Um, my father-in-law was such an interesting man, especially when he got older. And he was, he, he was really sweet, but some of his actions were a little bit different if you know what I mean. Do y'all have any family members like that? Probably not. But my mother-in-law and my father-in-law were attending a small Baptist church in East Texas, and it was an older building. It was really intimate. Um, it had this part down here, and then it had a, a little balcony up here. And Pop, as we used to call him, Pop would oftentimes get there late actually not oftentimes, many, many, many times. And he would like to go up and sit in the balcony uh, not to disturb anybody. And this particular um, morning, he had, he had crept up in the balcony. There weren't a lot of people in there. In fact, he might have been, there may have been only a handful. And as he sat there and the preacher preached, he began to get really sleepy. He was always a hard worker. He was a rancher out with his cows, just really hard work. And he began to, to have this sleep come over him. Now, he's sitting in the balcony up there where you are, and he's thinking nobody can see him. And so he proceeds to lay down on the pew. Now, they have a, a full choir who's looking straight up in the balcony. <laughs> And they immediately are alarmed that maybe Pop has had a heart attack or something. And so they're trying to all be discreet about it, but they do send somebody up there to check on him. I can't tell you the laughter that we had around the dinner table with that one. But I love church, and I love church stories. So... Back to school bash is tomorrow. This is like school starts incredibly early this year, like the 12th. Anybody start before the 12th? It's just absolutely insane. I feel like we just finished in May, and now we're already starting up. I, for one, will be extremely happy to close the door on this particular summer. Um, I know all the teachers are getting revved up and prepared to go back to school. All the parents have their, their pom-poms um, uh, cheering the kids back to school. The kids are kind of bored and excited to go back. This is just a good time to take a deep breath before the fall and kind of think where we've been and where we're going. And I did that some this week. I actually sat down with my calendar and I looked back to kind of take a pulse on TNC and what we have done since the first of the year. And you probably know this as well, but I was amazed at how much our church is doing. 
looking back at the past seven months, as we begin to um, wind down after the summer, it's just a good time to reflect. And in January, we had sermon messages on our core values, which are on our website, uh, follow Jesus, love neighbors, grow disciples, create space and peace. There was also a create space retreat for the ladies on a weekend. On a weekend, in February we began our Lent season, and read a book for the forty days leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection. Our messages in, included a focus on fast to feast, along with praying and giving. We had a series on together we betray, we deny. We condemn, we mock, we crucify. Together we practice the resurrection. Together we're sent, we're raised, we are free, we are alive, we're surprised. All to show us how very similar we are to the people who lived in Jesus' time who actually crucified Jesus. In March we celebrated Easter and the Holy Resurrection, and we continued to celebrate that for 50 days afterwards. In the spring, we had a missionary come from Russia, Rahman, who spent several weeks in the States uh, meeting with his donors. And we also welcomed the Smiths, who are on furlough from their work. We're able to love on them and their children, but also be blessed with their teachings. Once a month, the team would go visit Austin Street Shelter. This has been a very faithful ministry. It's not just our church, um, but several people in our church joined this effort, preparing dinner for about 450 people who spend the night in this shelter downtown Dallas, and then going down there and actually serving them and having interaction with these neighbors. Other ministries include people being involved with our calling and other ministries. Since January, the closed closet has faithfully been organized and opened each month by our neighborhood groups in order to connect with our neighborhood around the rock and to be able to provide them free clothing. Our neighborhood groups met from January to June when we took a break for the summer and then we'll resume this fall. There, during all of this, there continues to be deacons meetings, neighborhood group leaders meetings, and various other meetings on a continuous basis. Uh, the elders participated in a six-month Zoom conversation with a group of church leaders and ecclesia under the teaching of Deb Hirsch. Our neighborhood group leaders met each week for a month, once a week, to participate in a study conducted by J.R. Briggs on asking the right questions. This summer, TNC continued its tradition of leading VBS at the Rock in the summer, and we also hosted our very own first VBS for our children and their friends at our church. Some of your leaders traveled to the Northeast to attend Missio Alliance and the Ecclesia National Gathering. 
We have had a few guest speakers this spring and two family worship times on the fifth Saturday of the month, as well as inviting in a few guest worship leaders as well. Reflection. Isn't that amazing how much has gone on in these seven months? We have been doing good, good work. Amen? And yet, action is not the full story. Our own spiritual formation is key to our spiritual journey. We must always lean into the practices, that is, reflection, silence, solitude, study, celebration, and others to experience a full life in Christ. Being and doing are not the same thing. You can't replace one with the other. So today I want us for a few minutes to examine ourselves to say, we are apprentices of Jesus, but where are we as an apprentice with Jesus right now? Uh, The scripture will be behind me. It's a very short two, two verses. I'd like to read those to you now as you remain seated. John 21, 18 and 19 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death He was to glorify God, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, in this conversation, we have Jesus on one side and Peter on the other. You see, the the two most basic stage paradigm is the two halves of life. Jesus includes this in this post-resurrection conversation with Peter, in John 21. Many of, us, many of us find this simple frame uh, very helpful in the spiritual journey, especially if we find ourselves in the middle passage from the first stage of, of life to the second stage of life. This is the model of Jesus, the first and second half of life. Some people will refer to it as the first mountain and the second mountain. The first half is a way of getting it all together, trying to get your life in accord. And the second one is about giving it all away. So Jesus lets Peter know that there is another stage on the docket that he has not seen. He breaks Peter's life down to these two stages— when you were younger and when you are older. Younger, you dressed yourself, you were in charge, you made your own decisions. But older, you're going to stretch out your hands, your life arc will follow the life of your rabbi. In other words, the similarity between Peter and Jesus. And those hands will lead you to the road of Christ. Jesus is speaking of his own road to the cross. 
you'll feel less and less in control. You must be willing to be led where you do not want to go. Isn't that interesting? You must be willing to be led to a place where you do not want to go. And Jesus thought it was important enough to mention that for Peter, that there is a second part of life on this earth. And like Peter, we find ourselves on the pages of this scripture, having a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus is telling us this same thing. So this evening, we look and we examine our own lives and see if we find ourselves in the first half or the second half or in the middle passage. So let's talk just a bit about the first half. Most kids, the exception are kids who are abused or abandoned, but we can generally say most kids are happy. And then all that changes during puberty. Kids want to get away from mom and dad, and they want to flex their, their full muscle of willpower. Some of you are shaking your heads like, you know what I'm talking about. It is crucial at this time that they, they have a view of what life is all about before reaching this stage. They actually have very, very few tasks That is just trying to figure out who they are, self-worth. And the core is good normally when they reach adulthood. If we don't have that, if we don't have that view of what life is supposed to be about, we limp. We need to have the Spirit of God. Now, the key passage in this younger life is to leave the origin of our own parents to leave the nest. During puberty, teens have, challenge, have been challenged to discipline their own sexual urges. They begin to choose their own commitments. What's important to me? This is the journey of leaving their home and trying to find their own home. And some people never really find their own home, sadly. But most people do. So in the 20s, it's important to have the love of our Heavenly Father. And then comes a struggle to differentiate ourselves from who our parents are. We like to break off the bad that we learned, and we like keeping the good that we've learned. We choose our own commitments of whether or not we have more education or we go straight out into a vocation. We choose our relationships, how serious they are, or we choose our careers to make us flourish to be successful. Both the first half of life and the second half of life are good. One is not better than the other. Each of them has their place. And then we go through the 30s through the 50s. Uh, living in the context of life, but sometimes we go through a shift, and our culture calls it a middle-life crisis. A young man or a young woman wakes up one morning and feels he or she is really tired. During this time, we channel our energy. We get tired 
which is actually a sign of maturity. But to a lot of people, it feels something is very wrong. And this is probably due to our culture feeding us that we are a forever 21 culture. And so they wake up, they realize they're tired, and there's this nagging sense of trauma. We have failures. We have failures in our relationships. And we realize during this time just how deep the womb is. More of our sensitivity merge into a bitterness uh, about our limitations. We struggle to access and recognize ourselves as the older brother rather than the younger brother in the story of the prodigal son. You know where I'm going with this. One man was asked, what are the best years of your life? He was just turning 60. And the man replied, the 60s are the best, and then the 70s, and then the 50s. And in our 30s, we ask these questions, who am I becoming? We dream about what we will be. Who am I becoming? Will I be that bestseller author, an amazing salesman? Will I be wealthy, successful on the who's who's list, if they have that list anymore? In other words, I want to be whatever my game is, I want to be at the top of my game. And then at age 35, we begin to think, this is who I have become, and it's very underwhelming. This is it. We begin to question, and the shift begins from the first half to the second half. Thomas Merton said this, the early part of life, we spend our time climbing the ladder of success only to find it leaning against the wrong wall. How many times do we hear, I need a new career, I need to start over? And then Dante describes a midlife crisis this way. Midway is life's journey. I found myself in a dark wood having lost my way. Any of you identify with these? No, y'all are all too young. In this shift, we begin to recognize that we are tired. We feel like something's wrong. It gives us somewhat of a sense of uh, disappointment. We have regrets. We have wounds. Our marriage is not what we had hoped for. Or maybe I'm just beginning to feel that marriage is not what I'm going to be experiencing. I want to be single. Is that right? Our sensitivity makes us feel angry. And now we struggle with the concept of God. Now we are trying to make sense of our lives. We feel like we've climbed our mountain and then we just get knocked off. If we reach the top, we realize it's not as great as we thought it was going to be. Or there is another mountain to climb. Midlife crisis is not an easy stage. And it's at this time, if you really listen, there is an invitation from Jesus to start the second half of life. As some people refer to it, 
the second mountain. Success does not have a lot, a lot to teach us in the second half of life. It is helpful when we are young, establishing who we are, establishing ourselves. And then we spend our younger years wrestling with the devil concerning our passions for recognition and ego, sexual urges, and success. And then in the older years, we find ourselves struggling with God about where we are in our life. But that gives way to a newfound freedom of joy, new joy, and more contentment. We live more and more for others and less and less for ourselves. In the first half of life, we're concerned about ourselves, about our family, about my relationships, my career. We're aimed at success and achievement, and we're discovering our energy. We can really do things, and we want more for ourselves. In the second, it's not so much about discovering our energy, but containing our energy, being intentional and aiming at mentoring more people, an uh, intentional effort to give away knowledge and truth. Both stages are necessary, and both stages are good. When we cooperate to what Jesus is trying to do for either of these stages, these stages move us into spiritual maturity. Someone had interviews with people um, who were at the hospital and in hospice, and they ask them, what regrets do you have? What, what statements can you give us to help other people? And this is what they replied. Number one, I wish I had the courage to live my, my life to myself rather than living my life the way others thought I should. Number two, I wish I had not worked so hard. Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my, my feelings. Number four, I wish I had stayed closer to my friends. And number five, I wish I would have let myself be happier. Regrets. Well, as we journey in from the first to middle crisis to the second half of life, there are some things we need to be aware of. Number one is growth. <clears throat> Laziness is one of the most factors of not growing. Don't live in the first stage when you should be living in the second half. We refuse to keep growing. You ever thought about the um, concept of Peter Pan and Tinkerbell syndrome? Peter Pan is always happy and has a life of adventure and pleasure. And Tinkerbell is full of life and energy and free of time. But what about living that life in the second half of life? It can be devastating. The 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s. Always strive to be a student to become better at being Christ-like. 
Don't ever refuse to grow. Another concern is temptation. That there is this temptation in the second part of life to desire the things of the first half. We are so in love with how we used to live. We look for reoccurrences like a second honeymoon. You remember that honeymoon that was just all glorious? We want to go back there and live. And so we replace that with, with faster cars, with plastic surgery, more toys. Sally Fields is an actress who is my hero. Any of you know who Sally, Sally Fields is? She is remarkable. I've forgotten. She's a little bit older than I am, but she took a stand years and years ago that says, I will do nothing artificial to alter my body. And so she has allowed age to set in, and she goes with it. She grows with it. And she said, you know, I'll be, I'll be somewhere, and I'll see some of my friends who have had all this plastic surgery. And while they're talking, I'm just looking at their mouth. And I'm thinking, why would you do that? Why would you go to all that trouble? But there's something so refreshing listening to her about, let it happen. Grow into that second half of life. Don't try to have the second honeymoon. There's also fulfillment of our commitments. We have a temptation to flee from all of our commitments, to just bail on them. It seems easier if we could just leave and not have to deal with them. But the highest values in the Bible are found in Galatians 5 that says the very core of our being Christ-like is faithfulness and allegiance. Jesus calls us to be faithful. Eugene Peterson has a very famous quote saying, it is the long obedience in the same direction. Suffering is endurance, and endurance is character. And then, let's move forward and take a look at the second half. And I have to tell you, Sid and I have been working through this all summer, right? Because when life gives you a speed bump and you have to slow down and take a look, uh, we have been uh, reading books about the second, second half of life, the second mountain. Um, I'm here to say that 68 is not the new 38 or 48 or 58. It is what it is. It's 68. So let's take a look at the second half. Some never get to the second half, and that's really sad. But for those of us who do and say yes to Jesus, success has very little to give us, unlike the first half of life. It is helpful when we're young because it kind of gets us going. And now it's an obstacle, and we struggle, struggle with God about it. We come to a new maturity and love in the second half. With age, we're just a lot more honest, honest with ourselves and honest with other people. We become mentors when we age. We ask ourselves, what do we have to offer others? How can we help and this is a fundamental shift 
Remember that both stages are good. And what we have to ask ourselves is, what are the invitations that Jesus is giving us as we enter these two halves? If you're in the first half of life, you need to listen up for the second half of life. We tend to not have any plan for the second half of life, only the first. And we cannot live the afternoon of life on the life of what was in the morning. Let me repeat that. We cannot live the afternoon of life on the light of what was in the morning. We tend to want to continue operating the same way we did in the first half, and we want to do that in the second half. And many times there is no plan for the second half. In our culture, the, 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 map, the map of the youth culture leads us up to the edge, and then there's a drop. That's the way our culture looks at these stages. But like in the Super Bowl, where you have two halves, the talk at the beginning of the first stage is very different from what happens in the second, right? You know this. I mean, the first talk is we've been practicing. We're going to get out there. We're going to give it our all. But then your guys come in, and there's a second talk to going back out and playing that last half. And that may be fueled with what happened in the first half. Oh, the thunderstorm came. It's rained. It's really difficult in the rain. So-and-so's been injured. How are we going to proceed without that person? And so the second half is really different from the first half. In the second half, life serves us up experiences that we cannot manage. Our bodies give way to failures, and we adjust. I remember about the ripe old age of 40 when I was needing to wear reading glasses. Now, I had never worn reading glasses before, and it made me really angry. I know looking back now, it's stupid. You can't see, you put glasses on, you appreciate them. But at the time, I was like, I should not need these reading glasses. And then when I got older, I lost a lot of my hearing. And I became angry again. Okay, God, come on. I need to hear. This is my livelihood of listening to people. I need to hear. And by way of contrast, I think you'll find this interesting. I do have a huge loss of hearing, which I wear these super-duper supposedly hearing aids during the day. But at night, when I get in bed, I can hear Sid snore, and I have to wear earplugs. So go, go figure that one out. I don't, I don't understand it. But in time, we accept those things. We realize that my body is not made to last 120 years. It is not made to last. It is going to wear out. And what is God inviting me into with that? There's a shift from the first half of doing to a shift to being. Gordon MacDonald says, The first half, 
We tend to live in outer space. What do I need to do this? And we build the container. And then in the second half of life, we learn to sit inside of the container. In other words, we spend so much time building up our life, having control, making commitments, doing it a certain way, and then we reach a time when that's not the way it's supposed to be anymore. And we turn around, we evaluate what we've been doing, and we pull out what's valuable and what's life-giving, and we go inside our container and we sit. We have space, a lot more space than we used to. We learn about loneliness We have the time to encourage the practices, such as solitude, silence. Jesus went to lonely places, yet he was never lonely because he was always with the Father. We realize that life is about more than what I should or could do. We learn that there is more to lives than ourselves. Max Licato wrote a book years ago called It's not about me. We don't have answers for the questions we have in the second half. But we are challenged to live out the second half according to what Christ has in store for us. Some try to continue to have this dynamic personality they had when they were in the first half. Some try to escape pain any way they can and ignore that they're getting older. You see it all around us. But this group of people try to avoid the pain of life and the lessons that were meant to teach us. They continue to look at success as something they control, and they still want to be in control. And caught in the middle of pain, we have to surrender that pain to God. What is it? What is it, God, that you want me to learn right now? And the song that Kelly and the worship band sang earlier, Surrender. That's the key, surrendering, surrendering it all. Paul writes that in order to find your life, you must lose it. We find our true selves in losing ourselves. And in the second part, it's not about mastery, but it's about mystery. It's not about acquisition, but deliverance. It's not about taking, rather it's about giving away. We see our children and our grandchildren, and we see how we can pour into them. We do less so that we can do more. We slow down. We have wisdom to offer to those coming along behind us. And we ask these questions. What can I really control? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself that? Can I control my health? Can I control an accident? Can I control my relationships, my friends, my finances, my children? And we realize that all these are not in our control. The second half of life is when you can be generous 
Anxiety is not about you, but about the generation coming up. And when asked, we can give wisdom, but when we don't give it, it is when we're not asked. It is a precious space to live well, to give away what I know and not to be a fool by trying to live in the past of my younger days. In our second half of life, there are several opportunities. Number one, time to forgive yourself. Forgive yourself for the mistakes that you made in the first life, the way people failed you and the way that you failed people. Practice leaning into grace rather than performance. Let God say to us, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. We make mistakes in the first half. Accept your sin, and your sins are the carriers of grace. He makes that a place he can carry us through from sin to grace. Broken pieces from the first half. Amazing art. Your life becomes a beautiful story. Tremendous relief that God's blessings come in the middle of our brokenness. Number two, discover your true self. You see, our false self has managed our lives in the first half. Born in a broken world, we construct a control to survive the culture. But we can live into our true selves in the second half. And it's a time to focus on generosity. Focusing on what we have to give rather than accumulating to our desires. How can I truly help others on their spiritual journey? Asking for opportunities to be intentional about pouring into others. It's a time to shift from doing to being. We have spent so much of our lives doing, being active, making progress, making success. Let this time be focused on using what we have to bless others. You don't get to decide on your deathbed what kind of second half you're going to live. You have to do that early on. Here's an hourglass. It's a reminder that we may not live that long. But what sand is left, that's what we should focus on. So listen to the words of Jesus again in this last slide. When you were young, you dressed yourself, and you, had, and you were more in control of your decisions. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus invites you to follow me. I will give you wisdom and guidance and peace about in the second half of life. Jesus says to you tonight, follow me. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you give us breath and life, and we... We don't always think about you being the source of that. Sometimes we take it for granted.
Lord, would you forgive us? You alone are great and greatly to be praised. Let us be reminded tonight of your grace and mercy and how you taught Peter. Give us reflection and direction. Help us to be all that we can in the first half of life, in the middle transition, and then the second half of life. Help us to lean into these teachings and to you for understanding and guidance. Amen. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. Go in peace.